Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series called Us and Them. As Pastor Sean is telling the story of Zacchaeus, it will take us to the heart of Jesus. So is this chief tax collector one of them or one of us? This message might change how you relate to others who we think are far from God because you'll hear the theme come through again. There is no us and them, there's only us. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free, but if you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. The name of this message is called Making Space. Pastor Sean is teaching from Luke 19. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio series called Us and Them. And we've been talking about how we live in this divided world, this us and them world. And it seems it's everywhere. Politics is obviously the most kind of front and center and in your face, but it, it also seems like it's, it's invades into every other part of our lives. I mean, it's like you can't do anything without politics and the division that, that exists there just kind of taking over. And there's this sense of it's not like we have disagreements and we want to talk them out. We want to figure out the best solution. It's like, no, no, those people over there are bad people. And it's like this, this horrible divide. And where I really get concerned is when we in the body of Christ, followers of Jesus, kind of begin to get that us and them thing with people who aren't following Jesus. And, and we let the politics or, or our histories or bias or opinions, we let that kind of creep in and, and we get lost in this us and them conflict that happens. And we learned something. We started the series out. We learned a really important point. First thing we saw is that when it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us and them. It's just us. When it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us and them. It's just us. I mean, so often that's what our dividing lines, we think that someone's behavior or someone's approach, someone's rhetoric is offensive. And it's like, those are sinful, broken people. And, And the reality is, well, yeah, so are we. We saw that that's what, that's, the, that's what Jesus brought. The idea is when it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us in them. It's just us. We're all in the same boat. Every single one of us. All in need of a Savior. All being loved by Jesus. All being recipients of his grace as we press in and receive his gift. That's the gift. And this us and them just doesn't work. And then, of course, last week we talked about how we see people and we said, what you see when you look at people depends on where you look. And remember, we used that illustration, the mud and the masterpiece that John Burke gave us. The idea that, man, we can look at broken people, people who are far from God, people whose lives are a wreck, and we can either look at the mud, the sin, the stain, the torn and broken parts, or we can focus on the fact that there's a masterpiece there. There's someone who's created in the image of God, someone who's created for a life that right now sin and just mud has totally robbed from them. And we can either focus on the mud and be offended by the mud and define them by the mud, or we can do what Jesus did. We can look past that and we can see, wait a minute, there's someone who was created by God, who's called by God, and who was created for something more. The mud's a problem, it's real. But Jesus didn't lead there. 
He started with that call to hungry and thirsty hearts and souls. And as I was kind of putting together this weekend's talk, I recognize when it comes to connecting with people who are far from God and spending time with people and being the hands and feet of Jesus in the life of someone who needs him just like I need him, my problem isn't that I don't see myself kind of as a sinner saved by grace. No, I do. I'm painfully aware of how much Jesus has saved me from. And so I don't see an us and them when it comes to sin, fallenness, brokenness. It's just us. And my problem isn't that I can't look at a person and see their, that their God-given potential and what he created them to be and what, what separation and sin are robbing from them. I, I see them, and I see what God intended them to be. No, my problem is different. That's what I want to talk about today. And you might be able to identify with this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to begin at verse 1. Luke chapter 19. We're told that he, Jesus, entered Jericho. And he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So here's Zacchaeus. He's a very wealthy guy. He's a tax collector. We'll talk about that in a, little, in a moment. We talked about that a few weeks ago when Matthew had some friends over to meet Jesus. But the problem is, it's like you've got to think it's like a parade. And this little guy, Zacchaeus, is trying to see Jesus. He'd heard about him. He was interested. And so he wanted to see him. But it says he couldn't see him because he's small in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he's about to pass that way. So he finds this place where he can jump up kind of in the crook of a tree, get up above everybody, and he's waiting for Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, I don't know how Jesus knew his name other than that he's Jesus, right? Jesus knows names. But how much how must that have freaked Zacchaeus out? Zacchaeus, there's such a crowd, so many people, he has to try to get up in a tree just to see. And Jesus looks up and calls him. Hurry up, come down. I need to stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Who's they? The people. People around, not just religious leaders, but could have been. Could have been religious leaders among them. But the people, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be a guest of a man who's a sinner. They knew what Zacchaeus did. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment. This isn't quite as ridiculous as it sounds. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that we'd hear your heart. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to listen and then the courage to follow in obedience. We love you, and we're so grateful for your love, your grace, and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the tax collector. Now, Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. He is the chief tax collector. What he is, is he is a man who became very rich by very dishonest means. You remember we talked about how the whole system was set up for abuse, the individuals who wanted to be tax collectors, which really involved tolls, customs, it was a big deal. They would bid for the job, and they'd have to outbid each other just to get the job. And then they were paid a commission based on how much they collected. 
And so abuse was just normal. This, you know, when you see in the scripture over and over, there were tax collectors and sinners. It's not saying, well, tax collectors aren't sinners. It's saying, no, no, these are special sinners. These are lead sinners. These are the example to all sinners. Okay, that's what we're finding out about Zacchaeus. I don't know what you compare him to. I I don't know if you compare him to, I mean, think of organized crime. Think of an attorney who kind of hangs around with and gets, sorry to all attorneys, my apologies, but I'm talking about a crooked attorney, not you people, okay? (laughs) Think of a crooked attorney that kind of works with the mob and is just in that whole thing and just surrounded with corruption. And that's what we're talking about here. That's Zacchaeus. And what's fascinating about this guy, so he's wealthy, the rich man, probably prideful, probably well-dressed. And yet, you see him, he's a short little guy, and there's all these people, these throngs of people, because Jesus is coming through. And so he's running to try to find a place where he can see. He can't in his fine clothes, and so he climbs up in this tree just to see. You don't see this every day. And he's looking for Jesus. And, of course, Zacchaeus was curious, but I want to suggest when Jesus stopped and called to Zacchaeus, we see he was more than just curious. Zacchaeus had a hungry heart. As this story unfolds, you see, this isn't just a looky-look. This isn't just like some guy who drives you crazy at the scene of a little fender bender on the side of the freeway because he's got to slow down and sit and kind of see it and slow traffic up for five miles, okay? See some guy out there taking selfies with a little fender bender. You're like, dude, get in your car. Let's drive. He's not just a looky-look here. What he's doing is he has a hungry heart and he wants to see Jesus. And it's so fascinating. When Jesus sees him and calls him, Zacchaeus, come on down. I want to stay at your house. We find that Zacchaeus comes down and people start to grumble. Oh my gosh, if Jesus knew the kind of guy this was. This man is a sinner of sinners. And I don't know if Zacchaeus overheard it. I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden Zacchaeus somehow sensed what was happening. And he just says, Lord, half of my goods I give. Half of these riches that I've gotten through dishonest means, I'm giving it away to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay it back four times. And that he says in the witness of a bunch of people who he's probably cheated. So they took note. They, they, they never said another word. You know, they were very quiet after that point. But what I find fascinating is it's then that Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. See, salvation was dependent on repentance, which it is. Salvation was dependent on repentance. But, but I want you to note something. Jesus going to his home, spending time with him, calling him by name, hanging out with him. Jesus' attention, his time, his focus was not. That was before he repented. Jesus said to the broken, dishonest, but hungry-hearted sinner, Zacchaeus, come here. I want to hang out with you today. I want to go to your house. And it was then that Zacchaeus repented. Jesus' love, his concern, his work, and his attention were not dependent on repentance, and neither should ours be. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message called Making Space. The series is called Us and Them, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. 
And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, Making Space. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. We understand salvation is. There are two really, really heart positions or heart conditions that have to happen for a person to come to Christ. The first is repentance. Because repentance, we understand. Repentance is this idea that says, I'm walking my way. I'm doing my thing. I am Lord of my own life. I am Lord of all that I survey. But I come to realize this isn't working. This isn't working. And I recognize my way is cause pain. My way has caused brokenness. My way has caused exhaustion. And I want to turn to his way. That's what repentance means. Confession is the verbalizing of that repentance. But, but repentance is that thing that says, I am turning to his way. And, and that's where faith comes in. You can use the word faith, belief, trust. Faithfully trust it says, I trust you with my life. I'm going to stop trying to save myself. I'm going to try, do, stop doing it on my own, Jesus. I trust you. See, repentance and faith are the things that have to exist in the human heart for us to receive the gift that Jesus offers so freely. But I find it fascinating that Jesus' time, his attention, his love, his concern, and I think of the Holy Spirit's work in people who are far from God. See, he wants to spend time with lost people. And he wants us to spend time with lost people, and it shouldn't depend on them getting cleaned up first. It's just because they matter to him, because he loves people. The thing that stood out to me, what I really want us to focus on for just a moment here, is the very first verse of this whole thing, which I think a lot of us can blow right past. And that was this, Luke 19.1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Through. See, he was passing through on his way to Jerusalem for what was his ultimate purpose. He was heading towards the time of Passover to actually give his life, to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. This was why he came. He was set his face on his mission toward Jerusalem. He was passing through, and yet he changed his schedule because he ran into this hungry-hearted guy named Zacchaeus. See, that's my problem. My problem is I'm so busy. I'm so busy. My schedule is my problem. You, you know, I've talked to you about this before. We're so busy. In fact, we, when people ask how we're doing, we, we, our response is often, oh, I'm so busy. And it's like, oh, I'm so busy. And the person's like, why are you all of a sudden out of breath? Because I'm so busy. Oh, I'm just very, very busy. Oh, 
You've been sitting here for 20 minutes. Why, why are you winded all of a sudden? Because of the sheer busyness. And thinking about it is winding me. Oh. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You've done it too. We all of a sudden just have get this exhausted thing. And it, it's because we are so busy. I'm so busy at work. And you're like, Sean, dude, you're a pastor. You've got the one-day-a-week gig. It's great, you know? Come on. Contrary to popular belief, all the stuff that goes on around here, the staff and I, we work hard. We work a lot. And we take days off and we get time, but we got, a, we got pretty full schedules. We have a school here. We've got all the things with the ministry. We've got the ministries of the poor, real-life Christian assistants. We've got all the stuff that God is doing here. And we can get, well, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm grateful for all of that, but I feel like I just got applauded for my busyness. <laughs> Only in America. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you, you intended well, and I messed it up. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's, we can get, you realize we can get busy. And then we have church stuff. You, you have jobs. You have stuff and schedules. And then we have church stuff, and we all serve, and we want to do things for the Lord, and we want to do things for the Christian community, and through the Christian community to the wor- world around us. And we have family stuff, and we got kids stuff. And it's just the way it is. We pack our schedules so full, as I have been contemplating, Lord, how can I get, be, be more effective at connecting with, quote, them, There is no us and them, but Jesus, those people are outside my circle. As I want to reach people who you love and care about and just spend time with and just love and be able to be your hands extended to. Jesus, what are we going to do about my schedule? And Jesus is like, yeah, I don't know. That's on you, buddy. Because I'm not the one asking you to overpack your schedule. That's not me. That's you. See, here's the thing. Jesus' disciples learned a very important lesson. I want you to write this down. Following Jesus always leads to spending significant time with those people. If you're taking the notes, write that down and put that those people in quotes. Following Jesus always leads to spending significant time. And this is the part that like, ooh, significant time. I'm talking about 15 seconds, you know, as you're passing by. Following Jesus always leads to spending significant time with those people. With those people. Who are those people? Well, that's the them in us and them. And for each of us, it may be different. I don't know who those people are. Maybe they're the people on the other side of the political aisle from you. Maybe they're people of a different background or religion that you feel is threatening the, the safety or the stability of your faith in our culture. Maybe it's people whose sexual choices have been very different from what you think is right or what the Word of God teaches. Maybe their sexual orientation, their attractions, their actions have put them in a place where they're those people. They're them. See, following Jesus always leads to spending significant time with those people because that's what he did because those people are who he loves. And as we know, wait a minute, we are those people. We just have a different set of things that make us those people. There's no us and them when it comes to the brokenness of sin. It's just us. No us and them when it comes to our need for Jesus. No us and them when it comes to how much he loves us and has created us for something amazing. It's just us. And following Jesus always leads, not sometimes, not usually, always leads to spending significant 
time with those people, the them in us and them. See, Jesus' disciples had to figure this out. They had to get used to the idea that following Jesus meant spending time with broken, lost, sinful people. And in their culture, that was considered compromised by the religious leaders. That was considered sinful in and of itself because they were afraid of being tainted, of losing their identity, and they, so they had this separatism. And they were closed. And they were the ones who often because many times those religious leaders were a little skittish about going to Jesus himself. They ultimately became more bold. But early on in the Gospels, we see them going to the disciples and picking them off on the sides. Why does your master eat with those people? Why does he do that? And they're sitting there having to defend an action that they themselves probably aren't sure it's okay. They're, they're, really much, they're figuring out that, wait, if we're going to follow Jesus, it meant spending time with broken, lost, sinful people. Did you stop to realize that on the day that they're heading to Jerusalem, trying to get there by Passover, uh, Jesus' disciples had to go to Zacchaeus' house for the day as well? Because Jesus just didn't say, I want to go see your house. Give me the quick tour. No, I want to spend the day at your house. Jesus' disciples, well, there's a day. There's a day. And they had to go to Zacchaeus' house with Jesus because they were following Jesus, which means going where Jesus went. See, here's a, here's a simple principle. Where Jesus goes, his followers goes. Will you say that with me? Where Jesus goes, his followers goes. You know why? Because that's what follow means. That's what follow means. See, if, if I'm following Jesus, which means I go where he goes, and he's going, I'm going to go over here, and there's some, some people. I want to, and I'm like, whoa, 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 no, no, Jesus. I, I want to go over here. See, that, when, the minute I take a step this way, I'm not following Jesus anymore. Now I'm somehow hoping Jesus will come and follow me. Come on, Jesus, these people are so much nicer. The food's better. That's what follow means. It means I go where Jesus goes. And I have to tell you, there is nothing biblically that suggests that somehow Jesus changed. He's mellowed out in his old age. Jesus still, by his Holy Spirit, wants to be. He is where we're broken, we're lost people. Remember what he said? He came to seek and save the lost. He's still hanging around with those people. And thank God he was, because... That's how someone came to me in my family. And he wants us to follow him. See, following Jesus always leads to spending significant time with those people. See, it meant going where he goes for them, and it still means that for us. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 says something very familiar. Okay, so I'll summarize it for you. It says Jesus was, had all these tax collectors and sinners, and they were flocking to him, and the Pharisees were grumbling about it again. I mean, it seems every week in this series, we've been reading passages, same story playing out. But then in verse 3, he begins to tell them a story. So he told them this parable. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, listen to this, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Pay attention to that for a minute. It's interesting, that tells you Jesus' heart for lost people, people who aren't here yet, who are far from God. It tells you what a priority. Dude, if I have to leave the ones who are okay, leave the ones who are in the fold, leave the ones who are safe, to go find them, that's what I do. And so would you, he says. They are a priority. The joy of Jesus when even one 
comes home. And understand something. He didn't say he has no joy in the righteous, the righteousness of his people. Of course not. He just says there's more joy in even one who was lost and on their way to death and destruction. One who turns and finds life and comes home. And we totally get that. And I'd be proud of any, any of my kids or any of the kids in this church. I'm proud of all of them when they're doing well, they're serving, they're loving Jesus. But man, when that one who was lost and is broken and is far from God all of a sudden turns and comes home and comes to Jesus and finds life and is set free in him, now that's a party. And it's the truth. And see, here's the deal. He celebrated like that when I was the one. He celebrated like that when you were the one. And he wants to keep celebrating. Following Jesus always leads to spending significant time with those people. A couple things that he made real clear. One, Jesus sought out lost and sinful people. He sought them out. He didn't just wait to bump into them. He sought them out. Remember what he said, Luke 19.10, to the people when Zacchaeus repented? He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came looking for them. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, Us and Them, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.